are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. So now, as Michelle has said, we, we can run into the arms of majesty. We can run to our Father who says we are his own. We belong to you, God. Jesus, you made all of that possible. I pray that we would just, just take these moments to reflect on the gospel and our reality in the gospel and all that it means for us to have faith in Jesus Christ, the way you transform and change us and bring us back to that relationship that we walked away from, that relationship that we needed so bad with our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Jesus, for all of that. Help us to delight in your goodness, God. Father, thank you that you've given us the Bible and that we can proclaim your word with freedom. I pray we would never lose that privilege in our country and we would never take that for granted, that we have your word and that we can hear from it. I pray now that you would speak through me, God. And I pray that encouragement would come where it's needed and comfort would come where it's needed, but I also pray that conviction would come, not by me, but by your spirit, I pray to those who need it. Thank you, God, for this moment. Thank you for the songs that we have sung. Help us now as we hear your word proclaimed to delight in all that you mean for us, Jesus. Amen. 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 As you're taking your seats, our ushers are coming right now and they're giving out Bibles. And so if you need a Bible, if you put your hand up, they will give a Bible to you. And Our passage is Acts 16. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. So if you need one, just throw your hand up. Don't be shy. And if you don't own a Bible, you can keep it. So Acts 16. Now, the biggest person I've ever seen cry was a 6'9", 290-pound guy named Roy from Boston. Now, Roy wasn't crying because he stubbed his toe or just failed his philosophy of human nature exam. He was crying because in 2005, on a Friday night in a ratty old art building, Roy met Jesus Christ. Roy walked into this building because somebody tricked him to get him in there. And he didn't see the plan that God had for him, though, as he stepped through that door. And as he walked through and heard the gospel presented, Roy was saved. And the tears that were flowing down his eyes were tears of joy. The gospel had touched his heart. And the the joy that was in his heart was flowing out in those tears. See, when the gospel reaches deeply into our hearts, what we're going to see is that acts of joy flow from our hearts. And we're going to see that the reason why the gospel touches our hearts, the reason why it reaches down deep is because God steps in and makes that 
possible. We're also going to see in the life of Paul and Silas that there's things that happen in our lives that threaten to stifle that gospel joy. Things come that, that threaten to rob us of that joy that we feel when we first trust in Christ. But our, our text is going to show that through the power of the Holy Spirit, there are things that we can do to stop that from happening. But maybe you're here right now and you're feeling like how I was feeling all week. Maybe you're feeling like you've lost your joy. When you stop and you think about it, you're like, the joy that I felt when I first trusted in Christ or maybe a, a few months ago, that joy just seems to be gone. It doesn't seem to be flowing out of me the way it used to. Well, you need to know that there's hope for you. Because in our text, we are going to see the things that we can do through the Spirit's power for that joy to come back. And maybe you're here right now and you're, you're like, I've never actually experienced the joy of the gospel. I've never experienced gospel joy. I haven't had that moment where I've met Jesus, where you're going to see as well that, that there are things that you can do. You'll see this in the life of the jailer to have that gospel joy. So look with me at Acts 16, verse 16. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and, and us, crying out, these are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And so Paul and Silas and the guys who are with him, they're going, it says, to the place of prayer. And there's this girl, this young girl is following them. And she has a spirit, she has a demonic spirit that has control of her. And this, this spirit gave her the ability to tell fortunes. And so these, these men who own her, these wicked and evil men who own her are keeping close tabs on her because they made lots of money off of her. The spirit in her kept calling out who Paul and Silas were and what they were doing. Luke tells us there, if you look in verse, verse 18, that she did it for many days. Paul eventually becomes irritated and troubled for her. He's troubled by her behavior, and so he commands the spirit to come out of her. But again, these sinful and wicked men who are exploiting this young girl, they're not happy. Look at verse 18, and this... She kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And so again, this young girl, she's in double bondage. She's got this demonic spirit that has her in bondage, but she's also in bondage to these Men, these owners, Paul commands the spirit to leave in the name of Jesus. As soon as he does that, the spirit leaves her. But as the spirit leaves her, her owners, their hope of gain and money leaves them. See, it's this loss of income. It's the loss of income that brings out their opposition to Paul and Silas and ultimately their opposition to the gospel. See, money was more important to them than this girl's dignity and her welfare. They cared more about money than this girl's dignity. 
See, the love of money made them cold and indifferent to another human being who is suffering. Some of the worst forms of oppression and injustice that take place in our world, some of the worst forms of exploitation comes from this sin, the love of money. Everything from human trafficking to pornography to slavery, all from this sin, driven by this, the love of money. The love of money distorts our perception. The love of money makes us use other human beings that we are called to love and care for. We exploit other human beings when our deception, our, our, our perception gets distorted. See, when you make money, when you make that your ultimate pursuit, when you go after money, thinking that that is going to bring you lasting joy, it doesn't bring lasting joy. Often what it does is take us into a place where we're committing more and more sin. For helping this woman, Paul and Silas were dragged before the leaders and they're beaten and then thrown in jail. Look at verse 20. It says, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in, into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received his orders, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So he throws them into the inner prison. The inner prison is the, is the deepest, darkest place that he can put them into. That's the equivalent of being placed in maximum security. And then their feet are fastened in Stocks. There's a picture on the screen for you of a, of a stock. If this was Pastor Ted, he would draw this. But he's more gifted than I am, so I used Google. Well, Hamal used Google and got us a picture. But this is a picture of a stock. Now, a stock served two purposes. It held prisoners securely so that they could not escape. Prisoners' legs were stuck through those holes there, and it put pressure on the ankle and the feet. It was a means of further torture. So they're thrown into the deepest part of the prison, and then the jailer puts them into this, this device that is crushing their feet and ankle. Paul and Silas are in pain. A stock cause is extreme discomfort. You had to sleep in a sitting position. And if you wanted to move in order to avoid cramping, that was almost impossible. So again, they're suffering, but notice their response. Look at verse 25. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Here's our First point, gospel joy is possible in hard times. Gospel joy is possible in hard times. Paul and Silas here, are, they're humiliated. They're stripped and beaten for their obedience to Jesus Christ. They are being persecuted for doing what Jesus called them to do, which is to share the good news with boldness. They were doing that, but they were persecuted for that. But notice here that persecution, that they're suffering, can't stifle 
their joy. It says they were praying and singing. Paul and Silas here resort to a time-tested method of responding to suffering. See, again, the gospel had touched their heart. It had taken root. It had gone down deep, and acts of joy began to flow out of their hearts. See, when we do this, when we sing and pray, when we sing and pray, it, it helps us focus on our eternal reality that can get foggy in hard times. It helps us to focus on our eternal reality that can become foggy when difficulties come into our lives. Singing and praying functions like a good set of windshield wipers. We've all got some of those. And when it rains and when snow comes and there's dirt, hopefully no more snow comes, but there's dirt and we clear it off of our windshield. It helps us to see clearly where we are going. When hard time comes, when persecution comes into our lives or something else, something else causes a difficulty to show up on your doorstep. When our joy is under attack, we can sing and pray. We can sing gospel-rich songs like Jesus paid it all, which has lines like this, my sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. We can sing songs like Before the Throne, which has a, not a great line. It says, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him, Jesus Christ, and pardon me. We can sing, it is well. And we can say, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, what? It is well. It is well with my soul. Singing and praying helps us see clearly what we have in Christ and where we're headed because of Jesus Christ. Heaven. If you're wondering, what do I do? What do I do when my joy seems gone? What do I do when I feel like I've lost that gospel joy? We sing and we pray. The text makes that very clear. Singing helps us. It helps us because the objective truth in songs challenge the subjective, our subjective feelings. Singing and praying helps us because it gives us the right perspective in hard times. Notice, notice that Paul and Silas are singing and praying before they're set free. They're actually giving no promises that they're going to be set free. There's no guarantee that they're ever going to get out of jail. There's no guarantee that the stocks are ever going to come off of them. But here they are, singing and praying. Why? The gospel had taken root. It sunk into their hearts and it shows us that just like them, same for us, joy is possible, not when it's over, but in the middle of it that we can have gospel joy in the hard times. So Paul and Silas are singing, and then listen to what happens next, verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So this earthquake comes. 
and it shakes the prison. It's so powerful that the, the doors all open and the, the stalks come loose and the chains come off. The jailer wakes up and he just, he's like, everyone must have escaped. And so he, he's like, I, he, he goes to kill himself. Now the reason why he would think to do this is because in those times, if somebody was lost under your watch, guards usually were killed. If you read in uh, Acts 12, I believe, where Peter is freed, those, those guards that were watching him were put to death. And so he figures, I'm going to be killed anyway. And so he goes to do it himself, but Paul stops him. Look at verse 28. So, but Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So he's about to kill himself, but Paul's like, stop! We are all here. And you can kind of picture the jailer scurrying in to check. It's like a teacher at the science center. You know, you got to get all the little kids back on the bus before you take them home. And so you're, he's just counting. One, two, where's Haymall? Three, four, where's Pastor Chris? Five, I lost count. Six, seven, everyone was there. They didn't take advantage of the providential earthquake. See, this earthquake is for the jailer. The earthquake is for the jailer. God uses this earthquake to bring him to a place of humility. He brings him to a spot where he's ready to hear the gospel. Look at verse 30. He says, then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's humbled. We're told that he falls at their Feet. He's finally ready to hear what they have to say. He wanted to know what he had to do to be saved. See, his brush with death opens his eyes to the reality that if he would have died, that he would have been facing God without Jesus Christ as an advocate. It opens his eyes that if he would have died, he would not have entered into a life of lasting joy. He would have entered into a life of misery for all eternity. He is humbled here. And God, God doesn't want him to end up in a life of lasting misery. He wants him to have a life of joy. See, when God plans to save someone, he will do whatever it takes to bring them to a place of humility. God will lovingly crush you, if I can say that, to have you open your eyes up to the gospel that's available to you. He did that to me. I was living a life pursuing fame and money, convinced that I could become rich if I, would, if I just became a professional football player, just pursuing that, thinking that if I, could put, if I put all of my eggs in this basket, I, if I got this, I would get a life of joy. I was convinced of that reality. But God knew how deceived I was, and so God crushed me. He went out of his way to get me to a spot where I was humble enough to say, what? What must I do to be saved? He systematically ruined my football career. 
everything from uh, blown out knees to fumbling the ball in games, from becoming one of the best players to one of the worst players on the team, where my teammates didn't even want me on the field after a while. Crushing me, because he, he loved me too much to leave me in a spot where I, would, I was trusting in something that was just a total deception, thinking that this kind of life, if I made it, that I was going to have joy. God loves us too much to leave us trusting in things that don't bring lasting joy. And so he comes after us because he loves us. That's what he's doing here with this jailer. And Paul and Silas respond, but they don't say to him, you know, pull yourself together, start dressing better, get your life together, and, you know, then you'll be in a good spot with God. That's not what they say. They tell him to believe what's already been done by Jesus. Look at verse 31. It says, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. They told him and everyone in his house what was essential. They, say, they said, believe in Jesus. They tell him to believe the gospel. Some gospel proclamation was happening in this guy's house. Verse 32 makes that clear. It says that they spoke the word to him and to all who was in his house. Everyone in his house heard the gospel. They all heard about Jesus Christ, how Jesus obeyed God in everything because we could not. How Jesus died on the cross, paying for our sin, dying in our place. They heard about how Jesus rose from the grave on the third day, showing that sin had been paid for. They proclaimed to that house all that Jesus did to restore our broken relationship with God because of our sin and because of our pursuit of joy without God. They proclaimed the gospel, and they believed. They believed. Maybe you're here today, and right now, if you're honest, you know you've been pursuing joy without God. You are pursuing joy. But when you look at your life, when you honestly assess your life, there's not joy. There might be moments of like fleeting and flickering pleasure, but then that passes, and then misery sets in. Regret sets in. The feeling of condemnation sets in. And you're, you're not having joy. You're having misery. And you're maybe wondering, like the weekend in the song, Pray For Me, who can save me from myself? Who can save me from my pain? Who can take my pain from me? You're wondering, you're asking that question. Well, Jesus can Jesus can take you and save you from yourself and remove all your pain and change and transform your life. The jailer shows us the path to lasting joy. The path is believing in Jesus Christ. It's believing the gospel. It's placing your faith in him. The jailer believes, and from that point on, his life is completely different. Look at verse 33. It says, and they took him that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in 
God. Here's our final point. Gospel joy is public in changed lives. Public and changed lives. As soon as the jailer is converted, the gospel, the gospel is taken root, and what you see is acts of joy flowing out of his heart and life. He's completely changed. Verse 33 says that he, he took Paul and Silas and he washed their wounds. This is an act of kindness and compassion. Washing their wounds would have eased the pain that they were feeling from this beating and having their feet and ankles in this device. It's an act of compassion. It makes us think of the good Samaritan who sees the man on the road beaten up, and he picks that man up, and he spends money and helps him to get on his feet and get him looked after, and he eases his pain. And you're maybe wondering, can acts of compassion flow from my heart like this? Yes, they can. It happens when we think about the compassion that we have received from Jesus Christ. We were beaten up by sin, wounded. And when we turned and called on Jesus to save us, he came and he picked us up. And he, he washed us and healed our wounds, the Bible says. And when we remember that, the gospel, that joy, that maybe that, that just faded a little bit, when we think on that, it starts to come back and it flickers and then joy starts to come from our hearts and we find ourselves asking the Spirit to lead us to people who are hurting, people who are in a difficult spot, to lead us to those kinds of people, to fill us so that we can love them with the love of Jesus Christ and care for them and show that joy that, that's overflowing from the compassion that we have received from Jesus. So we see the jailer's compassion and kindness, and then we see his obedience. He gets baptized. Verse 33 says that he was baptized at once. At once means he did it immediately. It's like a young husband that hears, you may kiss your bride. He's like, I'm in. There's no hesitation. It's an immediate step that is taken. This is the consistent pattern in the book of Acts. People believed, and then they were looking for some water to get chucked in. As soon as they placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they're like, where's the water? I want to do that. I want to obey. I want to take that step of obedience, I want to do what Jesus has commanded. Every time as you look, somebody gets saved and they make a public declaration of their commitment, joy, and unity with Jesus and his church. If you are following Jesus and you have not taken this step, this is your next step. This is the step of obedience that God is calling to you to do. Follow the example of the jailer. And get into the tank. We would love to baptize you if you have not been baptized. You can sign up to be baptized at the back after the service. But this is your next step. Show the joy that you are experiencing. Show your joy and commitment to Jesus Christ because of his joy and commitment to you because of his love for you. If you're nervous about that, trust the Holy Spirit that is living inside of you, that he will carry you through that process. 
He was baptized, but it doesn't stop there. Verse 34, it says, Then he brought them up into uh, his house and set food before them. He welcomes them into his home and gives them a good meal. So we see compassion. Then we see his obedience in getting baptized. And now we see hospitality, that he was hospitable. This is something that we are commanded to do as Christians. This is one of the things that should define us as believers. Romans 12 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hebrews 13 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Hospitality isn't just inviting people over to your house that you like and know well. It's also inviting strangers into our homes. People we interact with but we don't know well. People who don't look like us. People who don't think like us or dress like us. Maybe laugh at the same things that we would laugh at. People we share a driveway with. People we share a lawn with. People we ride an elevator with. We invite those people into our homes. Hospitality is important because it's a, it's a way that we can make our joy in Christ public. It's also a way, believe it or not, that our joy can come back. That joy that might be, might be dimming out a little bit. It can come back. It can bubble up. It's also a way we can encourage joy in others and help those maybe who have lost their joy as we laugh together as we share stories of the things God has done and is doing in our lives, as we eat great food together. There's so many different cultures in our church. If we got together and had a potluck, it would be unreal. I mean, I'd be there. Just lots of good food and enjoy that and develop great friendships and share our faith with those who are not trusted in Christ. Encourage those who are discourage and build unity in our church. What we've got to understand and get in our minds, if our relationships never go beyond this gym, they will not be deep. If our relationships never go beyond, we meet together for small group once a week and then that's it and we don't talk to one another and we don't take steps beyond that, they will not be deep. That unity that we want, that unity that we already have because of the spirit that we need to just foster and develop won't keep growing if we don't take further steps to invite one another into our lives. We shouldn't just walk in, say good morning, and then say bye, and then shut our doors and just crawl back into ourselves. The Bible calls us to invite each other into our homes, sit at our tables, and enjoy one another and, and celebrate the joy that we have in our hearts because of what Jesus Christ has done in us. The jailer models that. He is a completely changed man. The gospel, again, has taken root and joy is flowing from his life. That's why verse 34 says that he rejoiced that he had believed in God. He's celebrating what God has done. Before, before this man, he delighted in torturing Paul and Silas. He took, he took extra steps to make their life hard. He delighted in punishing them. 
But now, because the gospel is sunk deep, it's in his heart. Now he delights to serve his brothers in Christ. The gospel has brought them to, together. See, this scene shows the, the power the gospel has, not only to reconcile us to God, but to also restore our relationships with one another. It transforms enemies. They were enemies. Now, friends, brothers in Christ, walking together, pilgrims on the way to glory, celebrating what God has done. We hear this phrase often, the gospel changes lives. But because we hear it so often, sometimes it loses its awe and effect. But we should stop and think about that. We should think about our own life and just reflect and ponder the kind of person that we used to be and the people that we are now. Yes, it's not all sorted out. Yes, it's still kind of difficult at times. But when we look back and take stock, the person I was before is not the person I am now. And that is because of the gospel. That is because of Jesus Christ and his willingness to give all. And the spirit that is living in me now is changing and transforming me and making me new. That's why the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they are new creation. Behold, do you believe this? The old is gone. But do you believe that? The old is gone. The new has come. Don't lose the awe and the powerful reality of what the gospel can do in our lives. It takes a person and makes them completely different. It doesn't make them perfect, doesn't make life completely easy, but you are not the same. I am not the same because of Jesus Christ. The gospel changes lives. We see that in the jailer. We see that in Paul. And so Think about Paul. Persecuting the church, Acts 9, meets Jesus, life totally blown up. Totally new creation. When the gospel touches our hearts, when the reality of it takes deep root, acts of joy flow out. And yes, yes, things happen that threaten to stifle our joy. Things happen that that sometimes pushes that, push that joy up, up, down a little bit. But we have seen in our text that there are things that we can do to stop that from happening. We've also seen that there's things that we can do to stir joy in others. We're going to see that in a moment. As Serena gets in the tank and declares what God has done in her life. We can take steps. We can do things to show that joy that we have in our hearts and stir joy in others as we sing and pray. Thank God for what he has done. As we do acts of compassion, as we lovingly care for those who are hurting, who the Spirit has led us to. As we show hospitality, as we go, we take a step further and invite people into our homes and celebrate what God has done. As we take a step of obedience and get baptized and declare publicly what God has done in our life and invite the church to celebrate with us the good things that God has done. The Spirit of God who is in us 
working powerfully, gives us the power to do all of these things. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit who is in us that gives us the power, the power to do these things that in the midst of our hard situation, that thing that rolled in that we didn't see coming, that we can still be filled with joy and sing and pray to you and get our focus right. That we can now, through your Spirit's power, live changed lives because you have made us new. That we can be loving and show compassion. That we can show hospitality. That we can walk in obedience in getting baptized. That we can that we can celebrate, Lord, what you have done. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel, your son, Jesus Christ, who gave it all, who gave it all so that we now, when we reflect and think deeply on what you have done, these, these acts of joy flow from our hearts. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.